You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Today is the last message in the series, Unforgettable. And like a number of the series as I do, um, this one could have lasted quite a while longer. Um, the, the premise of the series was uh, looking at interactions that Christ had with people in the Gospels and how those have been uh, unforgettable in their experience in their life. And I defined unforgettable, meeting unforgettable people like this. I said that, that uh, unforgettable, an experience with someone, that they see you, that they look beyond kind of who you are and the circumstance that you're in right now. They, they see you, they get you, they understand you. And then they leave a mark on you, not just an impression. You don't walk away and just say, oh, well, that was, that was a good encounter. There, there's a mark. There's, there's something that happens immediately. And then the last uh, point I said regarding this was that, um, that that encounter becomes a catalyst for transformation. So leaving a mark on you means there's kind of an immediate change. You kind of made a decision, oh, I'm going to do something differently. I'm going to look at something differently like that. But then the the idea of being a catalyst for transformation is that from here on out, I am going to be completely different because of that encounter with that person. So so you don't meet a lot of unforgettable people, but anytime someone encountered Christ, it was an unforgettable experience. We looked at Matthew and Levi, both as tax collectors and how God interacted with them. We've looked at the woman at the well, uh, a widow and her deceased son, Paul. Last week, Pastor Ryan did a paralytic lowered through the roof by their friends. Today, I'm going to end with um, Peter. Peter was the original WYSIWYG. Now, I first got introduced to that phrase. Actually, I know it's been around a long time, but I got introduced to it in a staff meeting where I probably might have been a little forward. And one of our staff pastors said, you are a WYSIWYG. And I didn't know what that meant. And she said, what you see is what you get. And I went, yep, that's kind of me. What you see is what you get. Peter was, I think, one of the original WYSIWYGs. Um, He was a Galilean fisherman. Um, This was an honorable trade. It put food on the table. um, And it was just kind of a salt-of-the-earth trade. And, And Peter's dad, Zebedee, was a Galilean fisherman. And more than likely, if you follow it down, probably Zebedee's dad was a Galilean fisherman as well. And Peter becomes the central figure of Jesus' disciples and an integral figure in the expansion of the church, which we we will celebrate actually next week. It's Pentecost Sunday, which which was really the, the birth of what we would recognize now as a local church. And Peter was integral to all that process. Um, he was, um, his, his initial encounter with Jesus comes when he is, has finished a day of fishing, or better, better said, maybe an evening of fishing, and um, it wasn't a productive day. It was probably a day that most fishermen kind of get used to, right? Like, like some days is a good day, some days is bad. It's fishing. You know, it's not called catching, right? It's called fishing. So, so on this particular day, it wasn't a very successful day. He's cleaning and preparing his nets. It was probably as much work to do after the fishing as during the fishing. And Jesus is teaching a rather large group of people 
on the shore and he wants to take advantage of the natural amplification that would come from the wind coming off of the sea. And he asked Peter, I'd like to use your boat. Well, so, I mean, I don't know what you tell somebody, right? A rabbi, I don't know what you tell him. So Peter just tells him yes and kind of sets off a little offshore. And here Jesus then expounds and what we know throughout scripture, it said that every time he taught, he taught with authority that there was something about who he was and how he taught that captured people's attention. And Peter kind of had to pay attention, right? I mean, like Peter's in the boat next to the man talking, all right? So he can't be fiddling with these nets. He has, he has to be engaged. And so he's engaged. And when after it's over, then Jesus turns to him and says, hey, push out a little deeper and uh, throw out your net. Now, I've always imagined this as here is a professional fisherman and here is a rabbi. And, and, and I would think a professional fisherman um, will have an opinion about what a pastor would say about his craft. And yet Peter throws out the net. And then with this large catch of fish, you could say that he hooks Peter. P Peter's, Peter's in at this moment. He didn't know what he's in for, right? But, but, he, but, he, but he's in because there's something completely different about this guy. So Jesus would have known that Peter was a charismatic personality, raw, charismatic personality. He, knew, he knows these things about us. He knows our personality. He knows, he knows where we're strong. He knows where we're weak. He knows when we're, what, where we're raw. He knows where we are kind of ref, re, refined. Um, and, and Peter's highs were very high, and Peter's lows were very low. And Jesus interacts with Peter according to his personality. When you deal with someone that has, uh, that's charismatic or, and is raw, the, the interactions you have with them have to, match, have to match their personality in order to get their attention. But they can take it. And so then when you find that, you find Jesus' interactions with Peter, they're raw, they're straightforward, they're honest, and, but it works. It works for Peter, all right? So one of the strongest challenges that Jesus gives to Peter is during the Last Supper, the night of Jesus' arrest. So during the meal, a disagreement breaks out among the disciples of who is the greatest. And in that conversation, there becomes this, this very forward, very forward, hey, we will, we will go and die for you. Like, like wherever you go, we're there. And Jesus could have turned that into this nice, mushy moment. Well, shucks. Thanks, guys. It's really, really good to know that you have my back. And yet he doesn't. He throws some cold water on the experience and really challenges them. And he challenges them with this out of Luke 22, 31 through 34. Now, now, all of them have said this. Peter leads the charge, but it says that all of, all of them kind of had said this. And so here's a very Southern way to write this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all y'all. <laughs> Satan has asked to sift all of you as we. Now, he's addressing the Simon, but he's encompassing the whole group. But then he turns back to Simon. But I prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, deny that you know me three times. There's some cold water. We will go and die for you. No, you won't. <laughs> 
No, you won't. In fact, when it really gets down to it, you're going to act like you don't even know who I am. And then they leave to go out to the Mount of Olives. That's a strong point. So here's some come teaching points today. One is that Satan's sifting intent, Satan's sifting intent is for our separation. Now, the disciples would have understood sifting in three different contexts. First, they would have understood it agriculturally. Okay? Agriculturally, sifting it was a violent process. It, there was nothing subtle about sifting. That the, 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 the wheat would have had to have been beaten and then the, they, they winnowed it. They would have thrown it up into the air for the wind to separate the husk or the, cha- the chaff and the, the dirt and whatever the chaff would have collected around the wheat. And this would have been an ongoing process until the wheat kernel was prepared, um, was ready for preparation. So it wasn't a subtle process. It was a violent process. Um, Now, Satan's purpose is to break us down, to strip us down, and he wants to leverage that broken state to get us to quit on ourselves and to quit on God. His end game is in that sifting. So they would have Satan or uh, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Their mind would have understood sifting. Okay? They would have understood that it just wasn't a process, that there was something very, very harsh in this. They would have understood it probably from a historical context. Job is, is, is probably the oldest book recorded. And in the book of Job, this is what we have. We have have Satan asking to sift Job. Um, I'll get to this later in the the message, but but basically what you have in the beginning of the book of Job, which Job never sees, is an interaction between God and Satan. where, Where God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He is a righteous man. And Satan says, well, of course he's a righteous man. You've given him everything he ever wanted. I mean, look at his life. It's easy to be righteous with a life like that. He's got a great family. He's got everything you ever wanted. Hey, but you let me mess with him and we'll see how righteous he is. And God says, you go ahead. You, you, you do what you're going to do. You can't touch him. But you can sift the things in his life and you'll find out that he's a righteous man. They would have, they would have understood, I believe, a little of this historical context of sifting. Well, then they have the right now context in the Passover, the current context. And Jesus really is pulling back the veil, letting them see what goes on in heaven. Revelation 12, 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. So this is what happens in the future, that Satan will be thrown down. But we get the picture, he kind of pulls the veil back, that Satan is now present before the throne, accusing, accusing them, accusing us. And it's there in which Jesus makes intercession for us before the Father. Now listen. Basically, the accusations that I think would have been going on right now would have been, God, you've really blown it this time because these 12 that you've entrusted, or these 11 that you've entrusted this whole movement to, man, they are some weak dudes. And, you, and once I get to kill your son, they're gone. They're going to be spread out. They're going to fail. 
you have banked on the wrong group of people. That would have been something along the lines of the accusation that would have been, would have been heard. Now, let me teach you something. Um, I, I've taught you this before, but I, I, I want to I reiterate it, that you can always tell who's talking by their tone. So it's almost as if the, the, the confrontation that's going on in heaven, somehow we end up getting to hear it and it sounds like our own voice, right? It sounds like you're a failure. It sounds like you're a fraud. It sounds like you don't have what it takes. It sounds like you're going to fail him again. See, we, 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 it comes out sounding like our own voice in our heads, but you can always tell who's talking by the tone. And that is not the shepherd's tone. The shepherd's tone is kind, even in correction, right? In fact, if there's no correction, there's really no kindness, right? So the tone of the shepherd is kind in correction. The shepherd's tone encourages, it instructs, it undergirds. Satan is accusatory. He's demeaning and he's destructive, the shepherd's tone settles us. Satan's tone disrupts us. Now, why, why is tone important? Tone is important because it always, all these accusations sound like they come from us. That inner voice that is trying to counteract all of what God has already done in restoring us or what he wants to do in restoring us and that you can't cut it, and you're not good enough, and all of those, it sounds like your voice, but the tone tips us off to who's talking. I think that if, if, if people could grab, if, if I could <laughs> grab this with both hands, it will change how we live, because we respond and react to those internal voices. They control our actions and our attitudes and our thoughts, and they drive us. And if we can identify the tone and connect the tone to the right individual, then we could ignore them, right? There's people, physical people that you ignore, right? You just, you know how they are. And so when they interject into something and you knew who, how they are, you go talk to the hand, right? I'm not going to pay attention to you. Well, this works spiritually. That when we recognize who, where that voice is coming from, to learn to ignore it. All right, so they would have understood that Satan's intent for sifting, well, the teaching I want to make is a Satan's attempt at sifting is for separation, to separate you from God. Jesus' point two, intercession, secures our faith and purpose. The fact that he intercedes for us. So, so uniquely after the warning, Jesus tells Peter personally, but I have prayed for you. Now listen, you know, anybody, uh, when you, something going wrong in your life and you, you ask somebody to pray for you, does anybody ever ask anybody to pray for you, right? All right, well, how about if Jesus prayed for us? Like, like, like yeah, if he was on that list, would you skip him? Right? So, so is it, gee, I have prayed for you, Simon. Simon, this is going to happen. This is happening right now. But I've prayed for you. The father placed a hard limit of what Satan could do to Job. I believe he placed hard limits on Satan's sifting with us. Hard limits. 
I want to say, why even the sift? <laughs> you know, like, let, can we skip that part, <laughs> right? Um, Jesus allows the sifting as a process to perfection, not to destruction. That way, it's difficult to understand is sifting does have a purpose, and it does produce a clean product. It doesn't matter what the en enemy's intent is for it. What matters is what God will allow to happen through that process. And will we lean on him or will we just look at him? All right. Um, so God allows sifting for our development and for our strength and for her, his purposes. I will even go as far as to say that it is not possible for us to become strong in Christ without a sifting process. But don't worry, Satan has hard limits and God has a plan. And the third kind of teaching point out of that passage is that Jesus sees the end from the beginning. All right, we, we can't see the end from the beginning. Jesus sees the end from the beginning. Here's what he said. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. It is of such an encouraging phrase there that really can't be understood in the moment, right? I mean, it's, it's really best understood in reflection. You're going to be sifted. You're going to fail. But when you have turned back, here's your purpose. Strengthen your brothers. If, if we can understand those things in the moment, then we don't, we don't quit in the moment. We don't, we don't live in the woe is me in the moment. We don't live in the why me in the moment. We'll go there. We, will have, we, don't, we don't have to live there when we can recognize there is an end to this beginning. Jesus' brother had to learn this because in James 1, 2 through 4, he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, when you are being sifted, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let, what a great word, allow, allow perseverance to finish its work so that you be, may be mature and complete lacking nothing. I love that James says this. I mean, you know, James, is, James doesn't even believe Jesus is the Messiah, right? James would have believed that Jesus was just the, the, the big brother that no one could live up to. And it's not to after the resurrection, they go, oh, so that's why he was the way he was growing up, right? I mean, this is when it clicks in. So I got to believe now the brother of Jesus is combing through everything that his brother had ever said. Because he wants to learn more about the guy he grew up with that he really didn't know. And he takes to heart all these teachings and all this stuff that we recorded and he comes down to this conclusion in his book. Man, we should consider this joy. Because I see the, the end from the beginning. And if we would just endure and allow this to work through us and build that perseverance, we're going to be mature and complete. We're not going to lack anything in whatever we face. Wouldn't that be a, a great thing for us to lock into? That, that no matter what you face, no matter what the sifting looks like, that knowing, that, hey, you know, on the end of this thing, 
there's gonna be more to me than it was at the beginning. See, sifting seems, seems to be a separating process because that's what the enemy wants to do. But in, 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 in God's kingdom, it's a fulfilling process. It's a, it's a fulfillment process. It's a completing process. And although there's stuff gonna be missing from us, it's the stuff that needs to be missing from us. It's the stuff that makes that we unusable. And for some of us personalities, it takes someone to beat it out of us. All right. After the Passover meal, Jesus leads this small band that was with him out to the Mount of Olives. This is where we get some great stuff, right? When Jesus pulls Peter, James, and John alongside of him a little further, he goes and prays. He asks the Father, hey, if, if there's any other way to accomplish your will other than what's about to happen, can we take that route? Three, three different times he prays the same prayer. Three different times God gives him the same response. And this is where he gets arrested. And then Luke 22, 54 through 62 kind of takes us from this point. So then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with Jesus, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, this is interesting. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So in this courtyard, Jesus had to be in one section, but he wasn't separated enough where he couldn't hear and see what was happening. And what's being done with Jesus we don't know exactly at this particular time, but we know through that evening he was, it was brutal. They were, they, were, they, were, they were brutal. They were unforgiving to him. And so he has all of that going on. And I, I mean, it's amazing what, what, it, what could be going on in his mind. And he has, he has the other 11 and his followers in his mind too. Like what, what are they, how are they gonna, how are they working through this? He hears Peter's denials. He hears the same rooster. And he looks at him. How does that stare feel? Well, we know how it felt to him because it says he went outside and he wept bitterly. What were the voices he was hearing then? The one that came to me was, you're no better than Judas. He went out and wept bitterly. There's some big emotion there. He went from, I will die for you, to I don't know who he is. And by that night, Jesus is dead. Or by the next morning, Jesus is dead and he's buried. And now Peter is managing Jesus' death and he's managing his denials all together. And this is where Satan's voice sounds like your own voice. You're a failure. You're a fraud. The power of failure, 
the power failure has over us is in its feeling of permanence. This is why failure has such a hold on me, you, is because failure feels permanent. And Peter's failure had to feel 100% unredeemable. Have you ever failed Jesus? Of course you have. We all have. Failing Jesus looks like giving into a temptation for the 100th time, the same temptation. Right? Failing Jesus looks like shrinking back from when you really feel like you have kind of heard a direction or a choice to make and you just can't seem to make it. Um, failing Jesus looks like hiding the fact that you're a follower of Christ in a certain context. Many times failing Jesus then turns into avoiding Jesus. How was Peter ever going to move past this? How do we move past failing Jesus? It starts by remembering these words. And when you have turned back. And when you have turned back. It turns out that Jesus has more faith in us and what he's done in us than we do ourselves. All right, let's get to the restoration. So that weekend, Jesus' death hangs in the air as thick and as a foreboding, permanent reality. When the women come back from the tomb with this news that he's not there, Peter and John race to the tomb. John beats Peter there, but when Peter catches up, he goes all the way into the tomb. I always thought this was fascinating. John beats him there. John as defined as the one Jesus loved. So John is motivated to run faster than Peter to get there, but Peter has a different motivation, right? Because if he's not there, then maybe there's hope for me. And he wants to see. And he gets all the way into that tomb and just sees the grave clothes, like the scripture would say, like a cocoon there with what was wrapped around his head folded as a neat napkin sitting in that place. And here you got to believe that the hope of everything Jesus said is starting to kind of rise up inside of Peter. Um, eventually, though, they have to return home. Uh, for 40 days, Jesus makes a variety of appearances to prove to everyone that he is a physically risen Savior, that he is the Messiah, right? But he only appears to the disciples three times over those 40 days. So after the initial coming into the room saying, peace, I'm here, touch me, right? There's this gap in time and they go home. Home was about 100 miles away. So they go home. Well, they get home and typical Peter, which I'll read in a minute, at Peter at some point is going, well, I don't know what to do. Do you all know what to do? No, well, let's go fishing, all right? I'm a fisherman. This is where it all started. I don't know what's next, but we're home, so let's fish. So here is um, John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel 
from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. Well, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. By that night, they caught, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. I think the boat might have been faster, but you know, it's Peter. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it. Jesus already had some fish and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 in case you're curious. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, you notice the formality? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. I think the fact that we have this record of this encounter indicates how much our relational security with God matters to Jesus. How much our relational security matters to Jesus. It was a raw and honest conversation. He, Jesus confronts Peter in his failure. He's not being patronizing when he asks Peter three times. If Peter's love for Christ is not cemented in this moment, it would not be cemented. Peter would face much more difficulty after this than he faced leading into this. And Peter would so identify with Christ in his later years that he didn't even want to be crucified in the manner in which Christ was crucified. And you can trace it back to this breakfast on the beach when Jesus looks at him a second time. The first time he looks at Peter is to tell him, you're talking a really big game here, but there's more to this. 
the next time he looks at Peter. It wasn't, I told you so, but it was, I told you so. I think it almost was more sorrowful. Almost as if Jesus didn't want to be right. And he looks at him this time saying, that's in the past. What are we going to do about now? Confronting spiritual failures. Come on up team. Are being confronted with a spiritual failure is super hard. If you've ever had to do it, which I'm sure many have, it's a difficult position to find yourself in. It's hard to sit in the evaluation process, but to avoid it is to avoid redemption. Our nature just wants to move on after a failure. Our nature wants a God who will just move on and ignore the failures, but that's not a loving response. Each of us should welcome godly confrontation because his intent is for our completion, not in pointing out our failures. His work is a work of redemption. You can't have redemption without an acknowledgement of failure and repentance. So godly confrontation turns sifting from a separation process to a refining process. It takes, it takes away Satan's intent and puts it into God's arena. Facing failure is the best deterrent to failing again. I remember when I was teaching Annie to drive. I've told you this story before, but many of you wouldn't have heard it. And we were, um, I think it was our freshman year in high school uh, at um, Summit. And there's an intersection of Duplex and Buckner. Some of you who live down there will, will know that. And Duplex was a terrible road. It's better now, but it was an awful road. And um, there was a car in front of us at the stop sign. And they went, and we were next. And as soon as they got out into Duplex, they got T-boned. And I mean, it was, a, it was a violent crash. And right there in that moment, I said, what are you feeling? She said, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I said, don't ever forget that feeling right? Because it's that feeling that makes you look again, left, right, left, right, left, right? So facing failure, sitting in it with Christ, convicted of the action or the attitude, not avoiding that is the best deterrent to not repeating that again. Ignoring spiritual failures will set us up to repeat them again. Ignoring spiritual failures gives the impression that they don't really matter. You know, Jesus is God. He could have been over there going, hey, don't worry about it, Peter. We'll, we'll get you. You'll get it next time. It wasn't time for that. It wasn't time for that conversation. There would be a time for it, but it wasn't that. It was important that Peter sat in that moment. Godly confrontation is the backdrop to experiencing God's redeeming grace. And grace is the best relational cement. In, in fact, in, in any relationship, forgiveness and grace is the best cement. But especially with our Heavenly Father. 
When you experience the grace of forgiveness. So you can't even experience the grace of forgiveness until you buy in that there was something to forgive. And most of us just think we're, 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 we're good people. Right? I've never been to a funeral, never conducted a funeral for a bad person. Never. They were all really good men, good women, innocent. Never a bad person. Never done a funeral for a bad person. And yet the standard God has for us is perfection. So that's a pretty harsh, that's a pretty harsh standard. Well, he sees the end for the beginning. He's given us his son for our, perfect, for our perfection. And in fact, it's our, it's our failures that remind us that we're not perfect and that we need a savior. And Christ doesn't look for us to ever obtain this perfect behavior. What he looks is us to, to attain this perfect dependence on his son as our savior. And for all of our lives, every challenge we face, every failure we fail, every, when we, 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 we are able to manufacture, all of these go to our development and our growth so we're not lacking anything, our, our perfect, we are being perfected. This is, this is more important than being perfect, is being perfected. It's amazing what God does for that. Just like for Peter, he restores Peter's purpose. As we're being perfected, it's amazing that you see who in your sphere is coming through something that you've kind of walked through and, and your ability to walk through it, your, your experience of being sifted and failing and being redeemed, not just the fact that you, you were able to kind of beat that test, that lends itself to the perfection of others coming up behind us Satan uses confrontation for condemnation and to halt progress. And God uses confrontation for redemption and to propel forward in purpose. I love he doesn't rehearse Peter's failing in that beach breakfast. Peter, can we talk about what you did? Can I ask you where your mind was? Where, where was your head in this? Didn't you remember this? Con he... There's, there's not a rehearsal. He doesn't walk him back through that pain. He jumps to the end game because he knows the answer. Peter, you love me? God, you know I love you. Our, our, our spiritual failures isn't a connecting piece to our love of God. It's just our frailty, our physical, spiritual frailty that needs to be beat out of us through sifting to obtain what Christ has for us. And so he's, he's not interested in rehearsing your failures. He's interested in hearing, do you love me? Do you love me? I've, there is something for you to do here. Do you love me? Yes, I love, okay, now you love me. Now let's move on to this next thing. This next thing is I need you to follow me. I need you to do the purpose in which I've called you. For Peter, it was to feed I need you to feed. Remember he told him, he said, I will make you fishers of men. You're pretty good with fish. I'm gonna make you better at people. I want you to get on with that purpose. Some of you in here today, listening right now, either online or in this room, you need to be moving on in your purpose and you are still locked into some failure. And maybe you haven't confronted it. Maybe you haven't let Christ confront on you. You keep wanting to just stuff it and stuff it like it's not gonna matter, it's not gonna be important. Listen, it is. It is. 
because it can't be transformed into something that makes you stronger and greater in Christ until you allow that confrontation to happen. And I can tell you, I know why you avoid the confrontation because I know why I avoid it. It ain't pleasant. It's never pleasant to look someone in the eye and know that you disappointed them, that you didn't live up. There's nothing pleasant about the experience until you start learning who that person is you're confessing to. And the more you understand the person you're confessing to, the easier it becomes to sit in that moment and have him teach you and hold you. What should have been a life-defining moment of failure. Do you see that? Do you see how it should have been a life-defining moment of failure? Peter, you failed Christ. At the most crucial, listen, the apex of history Right? I mean, the apex of history. So this would keep this alive, right? This would keep, it's alive. At the apex of history, you came up short. Satan intended, that's all he had in mind. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to wipe this movement out right here. This is it. This is the end of this thing. And what did he miss? It was the beginning of everything. Because not only does Christ raise up, Peter, next Sunday, stands up in front of thousands of people that he was afraid of. And he said, y'all did this. But he's alive. Angela Duckworth, in her groundbreaking studies on grit, determined that people increase their grit quotient when they realize that failure isn't permanent. That, is an, that was an amazing bit of research. And she discovered that when kids did not believe failure was permanent, that they were more gritty in their life and kept moving forward. You need to know that today. Your failure is not permanent. And since I wrote it, I'll say it. Satan wants us to live in the breach. Jesus invites us to breakfast on the beach. How's that? How's that? All right. Your failures that you've experienced or experiencing now aren't due to you just being weak. They're due to you being sifted. You need to know that because Satan wants to just tell you it's because you're weak. Because you're weak, you're not devoted enough, you're just not enough. And that's why you keep having trouble and that's why this recent failure has stuck so hard and it's just because you're just weak. He wants to separate you. And the only thing Christ wants to separate you from is your self-dependence. Or you're believing that you can fix this yourself. And Jesus saw your failure and he knew it was coming and he's not mad or even disappointed in you because it's part of his process. This is the best thing he does is redemption. And the morning like this is an invitation to that breakfast I talked about. And I believe that there are people in here today, you're being sifted and you're unaware of the process. You're, you are not aware that that's the process going on. And so you're kind of lost in it because you, you don't recognize that that's the process. And that's the process. The question is, what do you do with the process? What do you do with the process? Do you give into the process in terms of all it's going to be is a, is a breaking you down? Or do you give into the process of redemption? I believe there are people, some people in here caught in the middle. 
you have failed. You recognize there's a failure there. You haven't known what to do with it. The only thing you've known what to do with it is to avoid, avoid the confrontation. You're avoiding sitting face to face with Jesus across from a fire. I mean, how unassuming of a context is that? A fire on the beach. And that's the context he invites you to. A fire on the beach in the morning to have the confrontation and to have the conversation. And I believe there's also people in here that God has restored, but Satan keeps your failure on a replay loop that's keeping you from doing what you know he's called you to do. You've had the confrontation, you've had the conversation, you've been restored, but that replay loop, you have yet to be able to find the stop button. And I've prayed today would be the day you'd push that stop button. That replay loop is not going to play in your head any longer. And if it is, if we can't stop it from replaying, we can stop, we can stop recognizing um, what it's pointing to. And maybe say it better. We can recognize where that replay loop is coming from and we can stop allowing it, its impact, its effect, effect on us and how we move. So I'm gonna pray. And our response, I tell you all the time that movement, movement matters. Why does movement matter? It matters because when we move, it eliminates the possibility of the voice saying that you just ignored it. That, well, that was just what you were feeling. You just got stirred up by emotion. Look, I couldn't even, I couldn't even talk hard today through the process of this sermon, right? Because I, I didn't want to start coughing. So any, anything that you feel in your spirit is the Holy Spirit, not anything that I was able to kind of conjure up inside of you. Okay, I didn't hit a high C today in any song. Okay? And movement cements what's going on. And you can receive communion uh, uh, on tables to my right and left. You can come, in front and come to the altar and have your moment, your moment with Christ. The key is that you do not leave this room the same way in which you came in this room. That you do not end the broadcast the same way in which you began the broadcast. You don't end the podcast the same way you began the podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.